right. Ed, wasn't that awesome? Yes. It, it literally, literally took my breath away on that last line when you sang God and he is here in that low note. I mean, really, just like, God is my victory and he is here. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. So when can we book you guys for the main service? I'm not joking. Okay, how about the evening service? Well, we'll start at the evening service, and then we'll go from there. And all of you have to come. I'm going to be like a bunch of roadies in the front row. Just... <laughs> you guys don't know what roadies are, probably. Do you? No? It's the people who would follow the band around and go to every single concert that they had. Groupies? What are roadies then? Oh, roadies are the ones who do all the work. Okay, groupies. We have a bunch of groupies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Thank you so much for leading us in worship. We really appreciate it. Um, all right, we're in Galatians. Let's get our Bibles out. We're in Galatians chapter 6. Whew, I am too warm. Some fun stuff to talk about today. Okay. If you don't have a Bible, we got a bunch of them over there. You can grab one. Um, I'm going to say, I've said it before, I encourage you guys, bring your paper Bibles, okay? Because first of all, your paper Bibles don't have apps in the background that will distract you. And secondly, it's really helpful just to become familiar with one book. Okay, with one, like, one copy of your Bible. I had a professor who used to, he'd be like, oh yeah, that one verse, it's on the left side of the page, and he'd be flipping through his Bible trying to find what he was going to reference. And every time he'd say, it's on the left side of the page, it's on the right side of the page. And it's because he read that one Bible over and over and over and over, and you get to this place where you're really comfortable with this book, and you can find stuff easier because you've read it before, and you know where it is, okay? So I encourage you to do that. Um, we're in Galatians, and so here we go. We are in verses 6 through 10, and so we, before we look at this, I've got a couple questions for you. How many of you, it's like your lifelong dream to become a farmer? Anybody? Yeah. In the middle, somewhere, Todd? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. That's true. Yeah. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? So I had, I had a friend in college... His name's Heath, Heath Weeks, like the Heath Bar. Um, and Heath, it, it was his lifelong goal to be a farmer. And the cool thing about Heath was Heath already knew he was going to be a farmer because his grandfather, when he passed away, or no, he hadn't passed away yet, but his grandfather um, had willed the farm to Heath. And so he, he basically owned a farm in Iowa when he was still in college. So he knew he was going to have a farm and he could be a farmer. Um, he's also a great soccer player and a soccer coach. So he's a farmer soccer coach right now. Um, and and he, he loves farming. And Angel and I, we've gotten to stop by. No, wait, have you been to the farm? Yeah. Yeah, we went drive. That's when we were driving to Denver before we moved to Israel, right? And then I've gotten to go out with my friend Michael. We went out and we worked, worked the farm for a little bit. Um, so here's the question. Let's say you're a farmer. And there's been some sort of apocalyptic event so that all the grocery stores are gone. And you can farm 
only four different crops on your fields, all right? And you get to eat that produce. That's the produce that you get to eat. What four things are you going to grow on your farm? Talk amongst yourselves. Get some answers. All right, Katie, what are you going to grow on your farm? Corn? Wait, what's the last one? Coffee beans. Okay, so we've got some farm animals too. That's good. That's good. Okay, anyone else? Any other unique things you would grow on your farm? Okay, yeah. Uh, wheat, watermelon, uh, potatoes, and carrots. Very good. Yeah. No one threw any, like, avocado trees in there? No. You got some apple trees? Okay. All right. What'd you say? You can make your own chips and salsa. That's true. Yeah, chips and salsa. <laughs> So here's a question. Um, how do you go about farming, okay? This is, I'm not, I'm not asking anything really advanced here, but I want us to come up with a couple of rules for farming, okay? So what, what you, you want to grow these crops, what do you need to do? Hey, okay, you need to take care of your farm, right? Okay, good, anything else? You need to weed the farm, right? Take care of it, yeah. You need to plant seeds. Okay, okay. So, rule number one, right? Rule number one is you need to plant the seeds, right? And, and you need to plant the seeds that you want to grow, right? So, so rule number one is this. Okay, you guys know that in farming terms, to sow means to plant, okay? To reap means to harvest, to pick, okay? So rule number one in farming is you will reap what you sow, okay? So what that means is whatever seeds you put in the ground, that's what you're going to get. How many of you sat here and one of your friends said, I'm going to plant super bars? Anybody? Yes, okay, okay, okay. I knew there would always be one. Trevor was coming. Under the bus. Right under the bus. Higher tracks. Right, so you can't plant one thing and expect to get another thing, right? So you will reap what you sow, okay? But on what Haley and Elisa told us, principle number two is 
You will only reap what you sow if you do not give up. Right? You can't just throw a bunch of seed in the dirt and then come back six months later and have a harvest. There's all sorts of stuff you have to do. You've got to water it, you got to um, weed it, and, and do lots of other farmer-ass things. Right? Okay. The last principle is one that may not seem that intuitive to us, okay? But I, I'm going to put it down because it works with my sermon, okay? Okay, so in some way, you should share what you reap, okay? Let's say when you plant an apple orchard, okay, you, you throw, I don't know, a handful of apple seeds in the ground, and, and over time you get an apple tree, and that apple tree will produce... Lots and lots and lots of apples, won't it? You, you plant a couple pieces of corn kernels. You don't get like one piece of corn. You get lots of corn, right? And generally, when you sow, you get much more. And your harvest, if it's bountiful, is more than you would ever need. And, and you share it with those around you, okay? So those are the principles we're going to go off of today as we study our passage. Because Paul is drawing off of these rules of farming in order to teach us about life and how life works. Okay, so let's read our passage here for today. It says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we're going to look at three quick points. And the first one goes to verse 6, and it's this. Take care of your pastor. Look back at verse 6 again, okay? Verse 6, it, it, you might not get that when you first read that, but here's what it says. One who is taught the word, that's who. Who of us sitting here is being taught the word? That'll be you guys, right? One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. And who's that? This guy, right? Okay, so there's one guy teaching. There's a lot of you who are being taught the word. And it says that you, who are taught the word, ought to share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, really quick, I want to tie in, how does this verse go with farming? Well, let me ask you this. Can any of you remember a time when Jesus talked about the principles of farming or growing crops? Any, anything come to mind? What? Joseph? Well, there's one Okay, and we call that the parable of the <clears throat> parable of the sower, right? <clears throat> Thirteen going on thirty-three here. Here we go. Um, yeah, the parable of the sower, right? And, and he's talking, and in that parable, here's the question: What is being sown in that parable? The parable goes out, and he sows what? Seeds, yeah. Angel, what is it? The word. He sows the word, okay? So he sows the word. He teaches the word. And depending on what kind of soil's there, it yields a certain type of harvest, right? 
And so I think that's what Paul has in mind as he talks about this. He's thinking the one who teaches and the one who is being taught, we're talking about sowing the word, just like Jesus had in mind, sowing the word, okay? So the pastor sows the word and teaches the word, and the people who are taught, he commands to share all good things with their pastor. Now, most commentators, when they read this, they think this is the earliest example of Paul saying that pastors should be paid for what they do. That pastoring is not a hobby, that it's not something that people should do just on Sundays, and then they should have their own job to take care of their families throughout the rest of the week. So I think the application is take care of your pastor. And being a pastor, it's kind of funny to teach this text. Um, I listened to Josh Moody up at College Church, because if you've ever heard of him, he has a great British accent. He's, he's from England. I don't know where. I, I'm assuming because of his accent. Um, and, and I listened to him preach on this passage as I was jogging yesterday. And he gets to this verse and he says in this great British accent, well, this is a bit awkward. Because <laughs> here you are, a pastor teaching on this, but, but it's where we are in Galatians. And so know that this isn't just you know, to get you guys to do stuff for me or to make my life easier or anything of that nature. It's because Paul tells us and the Bible tells us to do it. So let's talk about a few things and how we apply this. We're going to do a what, why, how, and with what attitude, okay? So what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about taking care of your pastor first and foremost by, I think, giving them a salary, paying them for the job that they do and what they do throughout the week. Um, but when he says share all good things, I don't think he means just that you come and you give your tithe and you've kind of done your due and now you don't need to worry about it anymore. He's talking about sharing more than just money with them. Um, there's a lot of different things that you can share with your pastor. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes. So why? Why should we do it? Well, we should do it because this is a mutual sharing. It's a sharing that goes back and forth. So when I get up here or any pastor gets up here, what they share with you is the word. And it's not just the word, but it's their hard work that they've put into understanding and interpreting and applying the word to you and to your context, okay? So the pastor is sharing something with you, and what I think Paul wants us to see is he wants us to, how many of you have had someone just share something with you very generously, and you feel really grateful, and your natural response is, what can I give you back? I would love to share something back with you because I feel so blessed in what you have shared with me. And I think that's what Paul is hoping is our response when we sit in church, that when we sit there, we think, I am so blessed by what the pastor has given me in the word. How can I give back and help take care of his needs? Okay? If you keep going further, um, why would you want to support a pastor? You might go this direction. You might say that preparing messages and, and sermons is hard work. Preparing small group questions is hard work. Um, it, and it's not just hard work, it's, it's work that takes time. Okay, so for a sermon to be prepared, it takes sitting with your Bible. Um, you know, so for me, I sit down with my Bible, I print up the English text, I print up the Greek text if it's in the New Testament, I read through it, I study it, I look up words I don't understand, um, and then I open up commentaries and I start reading so that I can understand at, at some level what the passage is saying and make sure that I'm not just going off of my own thoughts, I'm getting some wise counsel. And then, after getting some wise 
kind of scholarly doctoral counsel, I have to think, how do I take this wise counsel and make it something that middle school and high school students would want to listen to or understand, because I imagine that you wouldn't want me to get up here and just read a commentary to you. That wouldn't be very interesting. And so you start thinking about, how can I apply this? How can I teach it in a way that will grab their attention and get their hearts to see the truth in this word and want it and apply it to their lives? And all of that takes time. And then beyond that, there's throughout the week the question of how do I come alongside them and help them to apply this to their life and meet with them and and not just work on Sundays, but work other days and meeting with them and talking to them. And the more time a pastor has, the better he can do this, right? And the better he does it, who gets the benefit? You do. Okay, so the people who are taught are the ones who benefit from all that time that goes into preparing for Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or those discipleship groups. So why do it? Because the benefit comes to you, right? And that benefit is not just warm, fuzzy feelings. That benefit is if you truly listen and accept the word of God as it's taught, it's eternal life. So what's at stake here is your eternal future. So that's why we shouldn't have a mentality of, you know, here I work hard every day and I'm paying this guy to just sit in his office reading books about the Bible. I mean, I read books about the Bible and I do it on my free time. Why do I have to pay him to go home and do that all day long? You know, shouldn't he be doing something else, working with his hands, working hard like I'm working hard? Those are the types of attitudes that we shouldn't have because the benefit is coming back to you. And so you should be asking, how can I do this? How can I participate in this? How can I share all good things with my pastor to free them up so that they have the time to prepare messages from the words that I can be benefited spiritually? Well, first and foremost, we need to start asking, what are we doing with our money? And are we tithing to the church? So last week, I may have caught some of you guys off guard this past Wednesday when I'm asking, let's raise some money for Tyler and Laura Patty. Okay, I think it's, I I know it's the first time in my time time as a youth pastor, that I've ever brought up the topic of money with you guys. It's the first time I've ever asked you to bring your own money, Um, and that is, if there was some confusion, I wasn't asking you like, hey, Mal, can I have 20? Thanks. You know, like, that wasn't what I was asking. I was asking, do you have a job? If you do, you know, where's that money? Under your mattress or wherever it is, you know, can you take some of that and give it towards missions? And now I'm bringing up the question of, do you tithe on what you make? Whether it's babysitting once every few weeks, whether it's working a couple times a week, are you sharing what God has given you with the church, knowing that that's, first of all, it's what's commanded, but it's commanded because it is for your good, so that you can give your pastor the need, fill his needs that he has, because I have needs, right? Other pastors have needs. I have kids who need their medical bills paid, I, you know, have to buy them new clothes, send them to school, to feed my family, okay? Are you helping in that way so that I and the other pastors can continue to serve you and your souls by teaching you the word? But some of you might be like, I'm in sixth grade, I don't have a job. Or I'm in 10th grade, I don't have a job, right? How can I help? Well, I want you to take a second and talk amongst yourselves And think, is there a way that I could share all good things, share these things that I have with my pastor in a way that would bless him, 
and maybe even give him some extra time throughout the week so that he could spend more time studying the word. Talk amongst yourselves. How, what do you have to share? What do you guys think? Got any ideas? What comes to mind? Drew. Praying for them. Definitely. Any other ideas, Elise? Yeah, you can help babysit their kids, definitely. Any other thoughts? Yeah? Help clean up the youth room. Yep. <laughs> That's my Thursday morning routine, and if it was cleaner, I would have more time to study the Word, because Thursdays is when I study the Word, so that's, that's exactly right. I didn't even think of that one, that's a good one. Any other thoughts? Uh, let, me, let me share with you a few ways, rather than tell you what to do, because that might, again, get a little awkward. Um, let me tell you ways that we've been blessed, okay, in the past year, so that you can just get some examples. So, last year the Gilmore family gave us their swing set. Now, Nate was pretty broken up about it, but he eventually, he eventually let it go. Lots of good memories there, right? But they gave us their swing set. Now, how does that give me more time to prepare the word? Well, first of all, the kids love it, so there's definitely time for them to go out and just play on it and run around on it. But second of all, someday I would have liked to have provided a swing set for my family, and what goes into buying a swing set is time and money. Time researching, finding... You know, I would probably be on Craigslist trying to find something, going, getting, how am I going to get this across town, get it over here, right? And, and just by having it given to us, and not only given to us, but Doug arranged how to get it to us, that saves you time and gives you more time back in your life. Um, this doesn't really relate to time, but this past year we had a family bring our, our family to the Brookfield Zoo with them for free. And one of the things as you know, I like to do is provide events for our family and fun things for our family. And, and for someone to call you and say, hey, we're going to the Brookfield Zoo. We have passes for you. Come with us. That was awesome. It was a great chance for us. We didn't have to spend time planning you know, a fun event out. It was prepared for us. Um, to date, I have had two cars given to me. Okay, Talk about sharing all good things with somebody. Right? I've had two cars, just no strings attached. We'd like to give you our car. That's pretty awesome, okay, a huge blessing. Again, lots of time goes into buying a new car, lots of time goes into fixing old cars that don't work anymore, um, and so that's a huge blessing. Uh, we've had people who offered a babysit for us, so that was brought up, and at the end of the night have said, you know, we'd really like to bless you by not taking any money. Now, I say that hesitantly because while that's a huge blessing, it has to be, I don't want it to be so awkward, they're like, man, I don't really know how to handle babysitting for Nick anymore because he expects to never pay me. <laughs> Which, let's just say, if you ever babysit for us, 
we expect to pay you, okay? We want to pay you. We're blessed when you say it's a gift, but we want to pay you, okay? So there's that. Um, last summer, Margaret, there, Margaret came on the summer retreat and helped take care of my kids with Angel while we were on the summer camp for the high school group in Michigan. That's a huge blessing because I want to bring my kids on the summer retreat so I don't have to be away from them for very long, and they want to come, but at the same time, I'm somewhat busy during a summer retreat, running around with you guys and keeping everything running and having fun, and so it's a huge blessing for me to know that there's someone there to help my wife watch with our kids so that they can come and be a part of this ministry. Um, last year, two years ago, many of you came to my house to help paint. That was a huge help. There was a lot of paint that needed to get on the walls, and it got there a lot faster with all of you than it would have with just me. So I'm thankful for that. Um, yeah, I, I'm part of a small group every other Thursday, and there's a guy in our small group who refuses to let me pay for my own breakfast. Okay, so every single week, he yanks the check out of my hand and pays for it. It's, it's a blessing, right? It's a way for him to just take care of us. And so those are just some examples of ways you can do that, okay? Um, for the sake of time, we're going to keep going. I think I already touched on which attitude is right or wrong. Um, so let's go to the next point. The next point here, back to farming, what you do matters. Let's read verse uh, 7 and 8. So verses 7 and 8 say this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he reap. also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So what we see here is Paul is giving us really two rules, okay? And they're kind of off here. But it's the first rule with two emphases. So the first emphasis is this. You will reap what you sow. So Paul's saying, you know, you can't sow one thing and expect to get another thing. You sow corn, you're going to get corn. If you sow dandelion seeds and weeds, you're going to get dandelions and weeds, okay? So whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. But you could also say you will reap what you sow. So Whatever it is you choose to sow, there's no avoiding the fact that down the line, it's going to come back to you. You will reap. If you put seed down in the right conditions, it might take some time. You might not see something happening right away. But by the rule of nature, over time, you will sow whatever, whatever, or you will reap whatever it is you sow. So what does this tell us about life? Well, Paul uses it to tell us two things about life, um, and it's in verse 8, which is that we can sow either to our sinful flesh, which will reap corruption, or we can sow to the spirit, which will reap life. So, different kind of sow. Um, we will, let's talk about how we will reap what we sow. If you sow to the sinful flesh, okay, so here I'm thinking about lying, lusting, envying what others have, entertaining wicked and evil thoughts, acting a certain way when we're not around friends from church or family, um, not resisting anger when it boils up in us, but, but lashing out at people, when we choose to speak in ways that are foul or unkind or unthoughtful to other people or about other people, 
When we do these things on a continual basis, we're sowing to the flesh. And when we do that, we, principle one here, we will reap what we sow. You will reap what we sow. In other words, by sowing those things, if you do those things in your life right now, you will reap corruption. Things will start to fall apart. We shouldn't expect that we can do those things and still get a life that we talk about in church and that God promises that we will have. That when we sow those things, we will reap the destruction and corruption that comes with them. And not only that, but oftentimes those types of things are things that we try to keep hidden from other people, right? I know that from my time when I was your age, so much of my sins and my, my sowing to the flesh, I thought I could keep it all back in my head, away from other people, or out of sight from other people. That no one could see it, and, and I was hiding it. I didn't want anyone to know it. But what this is telling us is, you can't hide it, because someday you will reap what you sow. That sowing these things will come back to you. Yesterday I went running, like I said, listening to Josh Moody's sermon. And as I'm running, I'm running on some busy streets. And as I did that, you know, you tend to see more and more trash on the side of the road. What do you often see as trash on the side of the road? I'm curious if you, this is the first thing that comes to mind. Pop cans. Pop cans, yeah. It, it, is, it is a beverage that I'm seeing. Right, some sort of alcoholic beverage is almost... The most common thing that I see when I go running, right? So I'm down on Galusha, and there's Jim Beam bourbon on the side of the road, and I keep going, a couple beer cans on the side of the road. Yeah? There's all sorts of trash, you know, that we throw out the window, right? But I would say oftentimes what I see is alcohol bottles, okay? And I don't know why they're there, but my immediate thought is someone is sowing this into their life and they don't want everybody to know about it. So the quickest thing to do is to ditch it out the window and not bring it home with you, right? Destroy the evidence. Get rid of the evidence so no one will, will know about it. So we always, we, we do that. We try to hide these things that we're sowing to the sinful flesh. Now the funny thing is, as I kept running, I don't usually see this, but I'm on Winfield on my way back and I see this huge thing of broccoli. <laughs> Seriously, it's huge thing. I keep going like a half-eaten carrot. There's a half-eaten apple, and I'm picturing, you know, like some kid in the back seat who, you know, tells his mommy hates vegetables, like sneaking broccoli, and she turns around and throws it out the window. <laughs> Nobody can know I like broccoli. That was just what went through my head as I was running. So I missed part of Josh Moody's sermon because I was thinking that that would be funny. Um, so we we try to hide. What we sow, so when we sow dishonesty and envy and jealousy and lust into the fabric of our life, what Paul is saying is that it will come back to us. We will reap what we sow. And we'll reap it in the destruction and corruption of our relationships with one another and with our relationship with God. It's a cause and effect relationship. Okay, you can't get away from it. Which is why Paul starts this verse by saying, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. That's just Paul's short way of saying, you will reap what you sow. Don't try to mock God by living one way in your head or when the bedroom door is closed or when nobody else is looking and expect that you will reap a different life 
from what you're sowing. But the flip side of this is that if we sow to the Spirit, we will reap eternal life. If we sow, and, and let's think, what will be, how do you sow to the Spirit? Well, what just we talked about a few verses earlier is the fruit of the Spirit. So if we sow love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, if we, if we sow the desire to bear one another's burdens, like we talked about last week, and to love others as we love ourselves, or if we sow the work of sharing all good things with our pastors and with those around us, saying we will reap fulfillment, joy, assurance, approval. We will reap this life that comes with following Jesus. And not just life with Jesus, but life with one another, life with God. And it's not just for now, but it's forever. That by sowing to the Spirit, we're, we're going to reap, and we will one day reap this life that boil, bubbles up in us now and also in eternity. Which is why Paul concludes this passage with this command. Don't grow tired of doing good. Right? So in light of the fact that if we sow to the Spirit, we will reap eternal life, don't grow tired of doing good. That's another way of saying, don't grow tired of sowing to the Spirit. Okay, so there's one last agricultural point that we haven't talked about, which is point number two there. And it's, you will reap what you sow if you do not give up. Okay, if you do not give up. So maybe when you were a kid, you know, you, you, you found the giant seed in the avocado and you ask mom and dad, what will happen if I plant this? It's an avocado tree. So you go out and back, you plant it, you water it, you know, you take some loving time out of your busy, busy four-year-old schedule to do that. And then you come back the next day and you are sorely disappointed to find that there is no avocado tree there, right? How many of you did that when you were a kid or, or, or yesterday or this year, right? So that happens. And the Christian life can be like that. The Christian life can be like that because we hear that if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap life. And so we work hard at being kind and loving and we fight our flesh and we resist temptation to lie and lust and envy and grow angry. And a few days later or maybe a few weeks later or months or a year later, we, we say, well, why is life still hard? Where's the tree? Where's the harvest? Why do I still struggle with sin? Why hasn't all my pain gone away? And so we grow tired of doing good, and perhaps we start to indulge those things that we've been trying to resist all along. John Piper points out that we as people are people who grow tired quickly of good things. That people on vacation, the first few days, the beach and the sunset are just amazing, but when they move there, it's no big thing after a while. Okay? We're the type of people who are so excited when we get new toys and new things to play with, right? But after a while, we just want the next thing, and it's the bigger and better thing. And so we're a people who grow tired quickly of good things. And so Paul, knowing this, says, don't grow weary of doing good. Because you will reap what you sow if you do not give up. So if you want to sow, if you want to reap eternal life, your life must be one of sowing continually to the Spirit without giving 
up. And I trust throughout the rest of scripture teaches us that if we sow to the spirit that what you will reap in time is a deep, meaningful life, deep joy that comes from following the spirit. You will reap a change in your desires so that you love and desire what God loves and God desires for you. You will reap a clear conscience. You will reap a gospel-centered life where when you sin, you have a refuge to run to knowing that Christ has forgiven you. You will reap a happier heart. And at the end of your days, you will reap a life that doesn't end one that is in eternity with God in heaven. And so it's in light of this that Paul says, don't grow tired of doing good. Instead, do good to everyone. We see in the very last verse there, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So what Paul is saying here is don't grow tired of doing good. Do good to everyone. So whoever God puts into your path, whether it's a homeless person on the street, whether it's someone who you tend to struggle with gets a locker put right next to you at school, whether it's your brother or your sister, whoever it is God has put in your path, he says, do good to that person, but especially do good to those who are in the family of faith. And I think what he's doing here is he's bringing us back to where we began with this idea of taking care of your pastor. And if you go back a few verses, bearing one another's burdens. And if you find someone caught in sin, restoring them within the church to right standing. And so especially do good to those who are in the family of faith. So today we're going to end with this. The big point that I think Paul wants you to take away is don't give up on doing good. If you were to remember one thing today, it would be don't give up in doing good. Don't grow weary of doing good because the harvest of life comes only to those who don't give up. So how can we obey this command? We can obey it by knowing that Jesus didn't give up on us. That Jesus didn't grow weary of doing good on our behalf. Even when he was rejected by the religious leaders. Even when they tried to throw him off a cliff in his hometown even when his disciples didn't understand who he was, even when he was sweating drops of blood, even when he was betrayed by his followers, even when he was falsely accused, even when he was whipped and nailed to a cross, even when death and suffering clouded his view of the coming harvest of his own resurrection and of the salvation of mankind, Jesus didn't give up. He didn't grow weary of doing good. Because he didn't grow weary, he didn't be, and because he didn't grow weary, he gained eternal life for himself and for those who follow him. And so when Paul says to sow to the Spirit, when we sow to the Spirit, we get the Spirit. His never giving up Spirit that was in Jesus is in us, and it's at work in us, and will give us the strength to resist the desires of the flesh, to resist corruption and to experience the life that he wants us to experience both now and forever. Let's pray that God would help us to do this. God, we ask that you would do this work in our hearts. We thank you, Jesus, that you did not give up on us. That in the midst of all of your pain and your suffering, that you did not give up doing the good that you did that bought us eternal life, and that your spirit is available to be at work in us 
that same never giving up spirit. So we ask and we beg that you would do the work in our hearts that we would not grow weary of doing what is right and grow weary of doing what is good, not because our good works save us, but because you have saved us to do good works. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. See you on Wednesday.